So hello, welcome everyone to this EPP group uh, talk on disinformation and authoritarianism, confronting authoritarianism. Uh, here in the European Parliament, we're talking about that with uh, uh, Vlado Bilcik, MEP of Slovakia, uh, and you're on the Committee on Civil Liberties, Justice and Home Affairs. Uh, you're also on that special committee on foreign interference in all democratic processes in the EU, including disinformation. And also joining us from across the pond is uh, Trigvi Olsen of the Lincoln uh, Project. Uh, Trigvi, welcome. You're, uh, it's, it's a think tank over there. In, uh, uh, I guess you're in Washington, right? I am in Washington today, what? yep. Yeah, so why don't we start with you? I mean, there are the buzz. What's going on there in Washington now a week after, we're talking now Tuesday, a week after the election, the midterm right. elections. Uh, some things are still up in the air. What we're seeing, though, at the moment is that the Democrats uh, have uh, maintained control of the Senate, but the House is still up for grabs at this point. Um, and, yeah, uh, what is your... Uh, your, your feeling about the, the election uh, results and, uh, you know, we're talking about disinformation. How much did mm -hmm. that play a role in this uh, election campaign in the U.S.? Um, I think, you know, so for, on the disinformation question first, okay. um, you know, disinformation is constantly and conspiracy theories are constantly moving around in politics, I think, on both sides of the pond. Um, and certainly in the midterm elections, there was a lot of false grievance um, that was amplified. And on some level, you know, I think a central part of disinformation is sort of the peddling of false grievance more than anything else. And, and so there was a fair amount of that. Um, how successful it was is another question, right? Because a lot of the people who were trying to push the narrative that elections are stolen or elections aren't legitimate or the 2020 elections, talking about the 2020 elections, lost. Yeah, um, exactly. And the more crazy they were, they lost by more. Um, you know, the big, the big, one of the big pieces of news is, you know, Republicans stand right now two seats short of 217. They're going to get a majority. They're going to have a, the smallest majority in the last 150 years in the House. Um, and that, I think, is going to probably show to the world that, you know, well, the election night was good for democracy in America. Um, we're far from out of the woods on the threats. Oh, but didn't, but didn't, hey, Trigvi, didn't, uh, there was a Russian uh, official, I think, who admitted that uh, that they were engaging in disinformation during this election campaign. How much of an impact did that have? You know, it, was, it wasn't just any Russian. It was Pergozin, um, who's the head of the Wagner Group and Putin's chef. The Wagner Group, right, um, right. And, um, you know, I spent, a lot of, I spent a lot of time in that part of the world working for John McCain and the International Republican Institute. So I, I did a lot of work in Russia and Ukraine and Belarus. Um, yeah, I mean, Prigozhin said that. Quite honestly, I, I just think, you know, how much impact that stuff was having. It it works a lot better when you're not expecting it, right? Like I think in the U.S. and and the EU, we now know that they're doing it. We acknowledge that they do it. It probably is less impactful because you know it's usually the things you don't see coming that get you, not the ones that you know are coming. Right. Um... Let me so. let me jump over to Vlado. Um, you're being on that special committee on disinformation. 
Uh, is there anything, any new developments coming out of there and anything uh, that uh, in, in terms of um, impacting on, on political campaigns here in Europe? Well, absolutely. We, we do have a special committee and we are also watching very closely uh, what has been happening in the U.S. Mm. Uh, and uh, maybe just a couple of sentences on this. Uh, we are talking uh, a week uh, after the elections. And uh, it's very clear uh, that uh, despite the expectations that these informers have not succeeded in these elections. And maybe that right. is one piece of good news coming out of the U.S. But I agree, we are not out of the woods. There is a lot of disinformation uh, in the run-up uh, to um, the elections. Um, you know, I saw the announcement before the elections about uh, the, the election results in the state of Arizona, for instance. Um, and this was one of the examples of the disinformation, which was very viral, very public, um, yeah. and, and even made it across the pond. It was uh, so, a denier against uh, someone who uh, believed in it and actually yeah. certified. Yeah. And, right? and, and so, uh, you know, the fight for truth, the fight for the facts, the fight for uh, um, credible information is, is still on. But clearly, uh, the U.S. Uh, democracy has shown a good degree of resilience. So this is something which we are also dealing with in the context of our special committee. We have a, a new renewed mandate. Um, and uh, uh, one of the things we will be looking at very closely in the upcoming uh, weeks and months, and we have started already, is uh, the Defense of Democracy package, which okay. was announced by uh, Ursula von der Leyen, the President of the European Commission, mm -hmm. in her State of the Union address. Okay. Um, and, of course, we are very keen to hear more because we need to have a comprehensive package which is going to help us safeguard uh, the European elections in 2024, but also a number of elections across the member states. Uh, we have a lot of uh, closely watched contests coming up, uh, very, very important national elections across the European Union. And uh, this information is one big threat uh, to uh, elections, but there are a number of others. Uh, and plus, we have a wholly new context. This is why our committee, I think, is um, the special committee is even more relevant. Right. Uh, and that context is uh, Russia's brutal aggression against Ukraine. And this, uh, a lot of this disinformation comes through social networks that are based in the U.S. Yes. Yes. So how do you regulate that here and, and also uh, in the U.S.? How do you do that? I, I, I will be very sort of personal here because I, I was in the U.S. with the committee leading a mission of the special oh. committee in February. Right. Just when the war broke out. And we were in Washington, D.C. having a, a number of meetings. And, of course, this was the focal point. But one of the big questions uh, we raised always was uh, the regulation which uh, yeah. we in the European Union have pushed through. And I'm very happy and, and, and also proud to say that uh, we are the leaders um, in this field. Digital Services Act is a huge step forward when it comes right. to regulating horizontally the whole digital environment. It's the first step as well. More needs to be done and more steps have to come, uh, including uh, the uh, code of practice, which has uh, been uh, revised on how uh, to fight this information, which will be legally binding based on mm -hmm. uh, the Digital Services Act. But one of the things we discussed in the U.S. was, well, what do you say? You know, what's your reaction uh, to the European legislation? Yeah. And, and, of course, one of our fears was um, we might get a lot of criticism because we are regulating U.S.-based companies. And what's amazing, and, and this came from both from a number of policymakers and uh, think tankers, um, yeah. was that, no, we welcome this. We actually are very happy what the Europeans are doing because mm -hmm. we need regulation also in the U.S. Now, there yeah. might be different motivations why the regulation has to come in. Sure. But I think uh, uh, the Digital Services Act, I hope, will be a good inspiration for others, including the U.S., okay. to have some baseline 
because yeah. we need to regulate the social platforms. And when I say regulate, I don't mean we need to go against the free speech. Mm -hmm. But what we need is to give free speech a fair chance. And you can only do it right now through proper rules, through proper regulation, because one of the things we are facing is that these black boxes of algorithms on social platforms yeah. have uh, pushed into the forefront uh, disinformation. It, it intensifies lies. these echo chambers, right? It's the intensity yeah. of the echo chambers. Yeah. And right. this is where we really need to give uh, uh, the, 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 the um, uh, um, true information, the, the facts, uh, verified facts, science, um, and uh, fact-based uh, political discussion as well, a, yeah. a fair chance so people who are on social platforms have uh, good access to these kinds of sources. Chugvi, how do you how do you see that um, on the U.S. side? I know there is an there's an attempt at regulating uh, without censoring. Right. That's it's a it's a tricky mm -hmm. thing, isn't it? You know, I, I might have kind of a unique perspective on this compared to a lot of people in the U.S. Because as I said, I spend you know over the last twenty years, I probably spent half my time in Europe. Um, and we kind of split between the two places. But I think it's good when, when the European side leads, particularly on tech issues. Why is um, that? Why? Well, in part because you're, you're more disassociated from the companies, the major tech companies themselves, hmm. right? So you don't have that influence. You have the influence of social media, for example, in your in your political discourse, but it isn't the the lobbying to the same degree. It isn't the, you know, it isn't. It it's just because they're based here. Um, there tends to be, it tends to be harder to regulate them in some ways. And I, because, you know, we saw that because of economic interests, right? Because yeah, if you kill I mean, them, you're killing jobs, right? <laughs> correct. And and you know, this goes all the way back to like. You know Microsoft and antitrust in the in the late 90s, right? It was yeah. the Europeans who led on that. Um, so I do think um, I I think it's a good thing. I think if we look at I think the other reason it's a good thing, if you look at a lot of the disinformation that moves around on social media, um, it tends to be internal, but there are external forces that drive a lot of it. Mm -hmm. You know, like Pergozin saying he's going to push out disinformation. I will say. You know, I, I think, you know, if you're a Slovak or you're a Lithuanian or you're a Pole or even if you're a German or, or Dutch, you're much more cognizant of, you know, how much messing around can go on in, in politics or around things like Ukraine because you've been dealing with it from a closer place. Sure. And sure. even if it's your own people who are amplifying it, um, you just, you know, the U.S., even to this day with the Russians messing around, certainly in the intelligence community and the foreign policy community, yeah. there's an understanding and a recognition, but we don't want to admit that, you know, that that can happen to us. You guys are much more clear eyed on it. OK, that's interesting. Uh, uh, Vlad, let me ask you, too, about about uh, uh, Elon Musk's takeover of, of, of Twitter. How much concern is there that he's going to sort of release the beasts again? in the interest of uh, calling it free speech, um, but there's also that disinformation aspect too, right? Well, coming back to the US election, you know, there was some speculation that uh, former President Trump might be back on Twitter. He isn't. Yeah. So that's no. also a bit of an indication in terms of answering uh, your question. Uh, because he's worried on the, about the economic side too, about if, if, if he does let it go too wild, He's going to lose his advertisers. Right? Absolutely. Uh, and I think this is, you know, 
I'm not following it on an uh, hourly or daily basis, yeah. but of course I operate on Twitter, just like uh, many of the members of this house and sure. uh, and the whole policymaking committee. It's a, it's an extremely important uh, channel and and in particular. Um, uh, platform which is very important, very useful to us. But I think there is a whole question here which is bigger and that's uh, the long-term uh, survival of Twitter. Uh, because um, uh, there seems to be so much uncertainty, even a degree of chaos in terms of the messages we've seen from uh, uh, Elon Musk since uh, he, um, he has been in charge. Um, and uh, often these messages are sort of, let's try this and uh, let's then reverse, let's yeah. try this, let's then reverse. Um, so I think uh, clearly there is a bigger question mark about the future of Twitter. I, I think uh, we need... Uh, we need something like we, Twitter. We need like something like Twitter and, yeah. and, and whether or not Twitter is going to be that Twitter in five or ten years time, I don't think anybody knows at the moment. Yeah. But I think it's also important, uh, uh, and, and this is where I come back to the regulation with uh, um, um, passed in uh, the European Union, you know, by 2024, the Digital Services Act, and I hope sooner, and we are pushing for, for quick implementation, yeah. uh, we will really have uh, the reins in our hands. And when I say we, uh, the institutions, uh, the policymakers. And uh, so in terms of the European context, at the very least, um, the kind of Twitter or any other platform which will operate here uh, will be subject to these rules. And I very much hope that by then these rules uh, will be a lot more global. This yeah. is our hope. Uh, so it's it serves not, as a standard that others might yes, adopt. Yes, it's, right? it's not just uh, up to uh, the CEOs of these companies to make these decisions, because I think this, this is something we saw also in the aftermath of uh, the 6th of November after the presidential elections. Hmm. Um, we need to have rules to anticipate uh, these sorts of uh, even tragic events. Sure. Um, and these rules cannot just come out of a back room of a uh, corporation. Yeah. We need to have rules which protect the public interest, uh, which protect and safeguard the institutions of democracy. Uh, and uh, as I say, uh, yes, we need to protect free speech. Right. But that protection also goes hand in hand with general rules in terms of uh, what is responsible media, what is independent media, what is a fair chance for free speech uh, yeah. in the online space? That's what that's what your committee is all about. That special committee, uh, Trigity. Um, what's what's the feeling then about about Trump uh, about uh, sorry about uh, Elon Musk taking over Twitter? I mean, how much concern is there that there could be more disinformation because of that? Mm -hmm. um, well. I mean, there's a lot of controversy around Elon Musk taking over Twitter. And in reality, both sides are beating up on Elon Musk at the moment. Um, you know, and here's the thing at the end of the day. Um, you know, the the bad thing about Twitter is it's it is the way it is. And you have you have some, you know, you put a tweet out, you get some real you can get some real hate at times and a yeah. lot of disinformation and stupidity. Yeah. But what I also think we have to understand is um, if Twitter disappeared, the good thing about Twitter is everybody, for the most part, is on Twitter. Um, what I think is a more dangerous and dystopian future would be if everybody on the right uh has their own flavors that fit what they already believe and they're only networked with people who believe what they believe you, you and mean people like, on you the mean left like, yeah. same thing yeah you mean like truth and social and, truth social correct trump's thing correct yeah. and and Which that is, not taking is, off. is that's no it hasn't thing. yeah it has not but um if twitter disappeared 
right? There becomes an economic incentive for a bunch of people to try and build the Twitter. And, you know, we have seen and you have in Europe, right? Like right wing newspapers, left wing newspapers in some countries. You know, certainly we have Fox News, MSNBC, self-selecting media, self-selecting social media only furthers the sort of dopamine hit that people get because everything they put out is only going to be going to an audience that agrees with it, even the most egregious and crazy. And then you get into a position where, you know, you're having to shut businesses down because, you know, they may have reprehensible business models, but that only creates further grievance around which extremism and radicalization can take place and around which bad actors can amplify, um, amplify those grievances. I think the thing that we have to get with technology is, you know, technology is agnostic. We live in a world of good and evil people and evil actors are going to use technology for evil ends. And most people who are good, 99.9% of people I believe are good, are going to use it for for good reasons. They're going to use Facebook to share pictures, but there's always going to be those bad actors. We have to figure out how to stop that. And so... Well, there, there, there's two question of just the public having a more critical eye, and that's there's education there too. Vlado, you wanted to. Uh, I wanted add to react to this because I think uh, what we are uh, facing at the moment, and also discussing in part, is um, uh, with the regulation of uh, the social platforms, is um, how um, they have to adjust and change mm-hmm. their business model uh, to survive. Uh, because I think that regulation is a new reality, and that regulation is here also uh, to protect the public interest to protect mm. the institutional democracy, to protect, uh, indeed, um, as, as has been said, uh, uh, the fact that we have uh, a, a common understanding of a common democratic space, but yeah. not these uh, little boxes in which we live and, and uh, which don't communicate with each other. And that's part of the problem yeah. uh, which, uh, which, which has been the basis of a huge profits uh, for the social platforms, sure. uh, because uh, that's money. been tied to advertisement, and and of course they yeah. need to adjust the business model, and that that goes for all social platforms. But I also want to say this is bigger than social platforms, mm-hmm. um, and uh, just as Trigby was saying, you know, this media, that media, um, we have a big discussion, and this is going to be part of our committee's work as well okay. on uh, uh, Media Freedom Act, which is coming to Europe. It's a European legislative proposal Mm. uh, uh, to protect uh, the media space, uh, to protect the work of journalists, uh, the independence of journalists, but also the professionalism of journalists and the media. And I think it's very dangerous if and when we start uh, talking in the democracy that uh, we have left-wing media, we have right-wing media, we have pro-government media, Mm. we have opposition media. I think that is, uh, uh, quite frankly, ultimately a a road to hell when it comes to protecting Mm. and safeguarding the institutional democracy. In my view, we only have good or bad media. We have uh, either professional, independent, uh, free media with journalists who really are not only able, uh, but also free to do their work. Um, And and, uh, their only commitment is to uh, good quality journalism based on facts. Uh, Or we have all of those who pretend to be media uh, but mm. basically, they have uh, either political or business agenda, and that's the only goal they are following. So that's one way to confront autocrats using disinformation to Absolutely. stay in power. Absolutely. Um, are there other ways to do that, especially when they're using social networks? 
uh, we have to be out front with autocrats. I mean, uh, Putin has uh, started a brutal war against Ukraine. I think this has right. really woken up a lot of Democrats, the realities of what autocrats can do. This is not just about, not just about Prigozhin and, and the Russians who have been trying now for years to undermine democracy, not just in the US, yeah. but also in Europe. And, and, and they're doing it in a very plastic way, not just across the European Union, also in our neighborhood. Uh, the Russians are attacking one of our successful policies directly in Ukraine, killing uh, uh, people in Ukraine, uh, killing Ukraine as a state, as an identity, yeah. and, and Ukraine is a candidate state for EU accession. Right. And they're doing the very same thing in another region, which we have been looking at very closely, which is also close to my heart, uh, and that's the Western Balkans. Uh, yeah. Thanks to uh, disinformation, thanks to the breakdown of uh, good quality public media, the Western Balkans has uh, now become fertile ground for autocratic regimes, but also for the influence of autocrats from Russia, from China. Uh, and uh, I think we really have to be very vocal about our own values, about right. uh, the democratic principles, but also about the cornerstone of uh, those values and institutions. And, and right. free, independent quality media is one of those. And also, fair chance for free speech on uh, online platforms is another one. So, Trigvi, how do you see that, too? I mean, in con how do we confront authoritarians who stay in power, uh, especially mm -hmm. uh, as we're seeing uh, with, uh, with the war in Ukraine, with Putin's war in Ukraine? Well, I think, you know, the, in this, I was saying, I think before we got on, one of the things about, about the elections here in the States, you know, the perception, um, certainly as I've talked to European friends is, well, it was a great night for democracy. It was, but you also have a U.S. House, which is responsible for passing aid to Ukraine, which is now going to be under Republican control. And, and in some ways, because it's so close, um, there's already deal cutting by, you know, three or four members can can cut a deal yeah. um, prior to the leadership elections. And there there are ones who are demanding that we no longer the U.S. no longer provide aid to Ukraine. The best way that we can confront them um, on the macro level is is being unified in our opposition to them and standing together as as the democratic nations. You know, I started in 2000, IRI, the International Republican Institute's Belarus program, um, and was eventually declared an enemy of the Belarusian state by Lukashenko. But if I achieved one thing during my time there, it was helping unify the U.S., the Europeans, and getting everybody on the same page just by people bringing people together to talk about it. Yeah. Um, and, and we stand up to Putin by standing together. Um, and I, 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 you know, I spent my life in Republican politics. I worked for McCain for a number of years. I'm now part of the Lincoln Project, which opposes Trump and Trumpism. But right. I will tell you, Joe Biden has done a really good job of leading, not always from the front, but he's done a really good job of, of having Europeans um, lead. And, you know, it's one of the things that he gets criticized for in the States. Well, you know, mm -hmm. he's letting others lead. It, we're a better world when on things like Ukraine, Europe is leading. Do you think, do you think a, a disinformation is playing a role in, in, in supporting those who are calling for uh, oh, reducing for support sure. of Ukraine? Yeah, for yep. sure. And I'll give you an example of okay. that. One of the lines that Marjorie Taylor Greene, I don't know if you guys know who Marjorie Taylor Greene is, but yes. she's this right-wing lunatic in, in, um, the house yes um from georgia she she has been 
using the figure half a trillion dollars has gone to Ukraine. Well, that's not true. <laughs> what she's doing is she's adding up all the this, the spending bills that have included Ukrainian aid, oh, great. which is a small part of big spending bills. She's added them all up. But that has taken hold. I mean, it's it, it moved around massively before the election mm. that we've somehow given half a trillion dollars to Ukraine, which is more money, quite frankly, than any other country's military budget except for the United States. States, even yeah. more than China spends on the record. Well, that's ridiculous. But yeah, they've amplified that. Okay. Vlado, you wanted to add something on uh, that? To, to absolutely. This information is a huge part of this war. Yeah. And, and it's also uh, um, potentially undermining the unity, which is so crucial. And I agree with Trick B. We need to work together inside the European Union. We need to work together as democracies across the Atlantic with other like-minded countries. Uh, and uh, we need to pull together behind Ukraine, because this war uh, has no end in sight. Uh, we are in for a long haul, uh, and uh, we, must, uh, we must win. And when I say we must win, Ukraine must win, but also we as Europeans, Americans, and other democracies together must win. And this information is, is uh, something which uh, could really uh, threaten these efforts. And, and, and this uh, one could, yeah, one example, just yeah. to give you one example, uh, because we had one from across the pond, um, one example which, which has become uh, very, very vocally known is that, uh, you know, the sanctions against Russia are responsible for all the social problems we are facing in Europe with the rising energy prices. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> and, uh, and of course, this is a huge lie. It's a huge hoax, unfortunately spread also by some uh, politicians across the European Union, mm -hmm. even some leaders of some member states. Sure. Uh, it's extremely unfortunate. Uh, but uh, it's a hoax uh, because uh, uh, Putin and his regime has been using um, energy prices, uh, gas prices, since 2009 as a weapon against us. And sanctions are the best possible reaction in given circumstances, which help us uh, help Ukraine and also help us uh, really um, face Russia. Um, which has started this brutal aggression and, and, and uh, which, which must fail in these efforts. So I think this is, this is really important that uh, we realize that this information is a weapon. It's right. a weapon which the Russians have used for a long time. Uh, we have to not only debunk it, but we have to become a lot more resilient together uh, to, to be able to face it. And this is why we also need rules for social platforms. This is why we right. need to support uh, free and independent media. Um, and this is why uh, we have to work together uh, with our American partners. And we need this leadership beyond these elections, beyond these midterms, uh, yeah. because that's the only way we sustain a unified effort uh, uh, with respect uh, to Putin. Yeah, yeah, it has to be done can on I, a can global I add level. One yes, thing on yes, that? Trigger, yes, please. You know, I, I, it's such a good point about what you're saying with with the energy side of things and we're seeing that as well as well that they they push out disinformation on the left right that that Europe can't survive without uh, Russian energy and and meet climate change and other goals I would say that one of the things and I don't think this gets talked enough about in terms of the whole issue and it impacts disinformation too. We need a transatlantic energy security policy yeah. that that basically covers both the you know the U.S., Europe, it, natural gas for example. There's an excess natural gas in the United States. How you get that to you know Bavaria to power the factories? Probably you know it's LNG terminals. But like we need we need to address that. And honestly, in a strange way having addressing the energy issue and the security issue together which are interrelated related 
goes a long way to solving some of those other issues that we've been talking about. Right, right, right. Um, just as an aside before we wrap up, um, uh, what's your feeling uh, about uh, Donald Trump expected to make a, a big announcement today? Um, what do you expect uh, to happen and what, what would be the impact? So, you know, the, the establishment is doing a part of the traditional establishment of the Republican Party is going all in to, to try and take Trump out. Um, Donald Trump is going to run. He, Donald Trump still maintains the substantial support of his base, whether it's more than DeSantis or a majority or not. That's unclear. Um, but he still he holds massive sway over a lot of people on the right. Even though so um, what, many Republicans are distancing themselves in these last few days correct. from him and his policies. Correct. But here's the thing. The, those people, who, they're trying, you know, the Mitch McConnells of the world, the Kevin McCarthy's, the major donors, the Rupert Murdoch's, they're trying to push Trump out. This is the thing that, though, you have to ask yourself, is Donald Trump a guy who is going to let someone else have it? I mean, if Ron DeSantos becomes the nominee and beats Donald Trump in a primary, is Donald Trump going to be the guy who says, yep, now I'm with DeSantis, or is he the guy who's going to burn the House down uh -huh. if he can't have the House? Yeah. And that's the problem that the Republicans have. And that isn't going to end, no matter how much they try and talk their way out of it. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, a final thought, uh, Vlado, or are you good? Well, just, yep. just maybe on this point. Okay. Uh, we have another important glue, and I want to mention that across the Atlantic. Uh, and I agree, we need to work together on energy, on security, and uh, also defense. And we've seen how important yeah. NATO has been in this context. Mm -hmm. We are in the European Parliament, but uh, you know, we are in Brussels, it's also the seat of NATO. And uh, um, I talked about EU enlargement, but actually NATO enlargement is happening, and I hope uh, we can soon welcome Sweden and Finland, and that's one of the uh, big consequences of uh, Putin's aggression against Ukraine. NATO is becoming stronger. Uh, and the West is becoming stronger. We need to maintain this. And, and I remember the four years of uh, Trumpian politics in the U.S. Uh, were something which uh, really uh, were not helpful times for us uh, in Europe, uh, in, in the whole cooperation also within uh, the defense uh, establishment. Uh, so I very much hope and fingers crossed uh, uh, that the Trumpian politics is not the politics uh, which is going to uh, be dominant in the U.S. Uh, in either of the parties, and, and I do hope that the Republicans find a candidate uh, which, uh, which is going to um, uh, be able to uh, work um, in the old spirit of good transatlantic cooperation. Vlado Trigby, thank you so much for uh, being with us, uh, discussing this, and um, we'll just have, this is a thing constantly developing, and there is this special committee here in the European Parliament looking at disinformation, so there will be constant developments coming out of that. We look forward to hearing more from you, Vlado, on that uh, as well. Uh, for all of those uh, watching, listening, uh, at EPP Group uh, is the handle for any kind of tweets you'd like to make. Uh, and yes, we do like you to tweet when you tweet the truth. <laughs> and uh, more information for uh, this and other issues at eppgroup.eu. My name is Chris Burns. See you next time.